Hello, this is Brett Davis with New North Ventures, hosting another episode of Securing Our Future, a podcast in which we talk with prominent leaders and technologies which benefit the national interest. In today's episode of Securing Our Future, we're meeting with Laura Thomas. Laura Thomas is the Chief of Staff and Strategic Initiatives at Quantum Technology Company, Cold Quanta. She is also a former Central Intelligence Agency case officer and chief of base, serving 17 years in national security and leadership roles, working extensively across the U.S. intelligence community, National Security Council, U.S. Department of State, U.S. Department of Defense, U.S. Congress, and with foreign partners. Most recently, Laura was a member of the Aspen Institute's Aspen Tech Policy HubTech Executive Leadership Initiatives. Laura is also a member of the Out in National Security 2020-21 Outlist and is an advocate for LGBTQ plus issues in both government and industry. At Cold Quanta, she serves as a key advisor to the CEO and is responsible for the alignment and execution of the company's strategic priorities. It's quite a background, very impressive. We're very happy to have you on today's episode, Laura. So thank you very much for your time. So I guess we'll jump right into the first question. Sure. So tell us the story of how you went from being a CIA case officer operating overseas into the quantum world. It sounds like a pretty huge jump. It's got to be a fascinating story. Yeah, it was a, a big jump indeed. And I start off with first, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to, to talk about these topics, especially technology that I think is so critical to national security. So how did I get here? I think I'm just a very naturally curious person. And I really love getting to the bottom of why things work the way they do and why people behave and do certain things. And I, that's really what led me to CIA being being a case officer. And then as I started digging on security and what are the things that I think are really going to move the needle for our national security, international security moving forward, I think at the heart of it is technology. So as I started looking across the technology landscape and evaluating a number of different technologies based on one of my roles at CIA, came out with being incredibly optimistic and somewhat fearful is probably an appropriate word of quantum. When you think about a technology like this, how it could be wielded for good and bad. It's certainly one of those double-edged sword technologies. I decided that it was so compelling to me what quantum could do and how it can change our world that I decided to leave government and join the quantum industry. Ultimately, I like to say it's not really a change in mission, it's just a change in path. Excellent. Excellent. Very, very cool. So what are some of the biggest problems to solve that make and to make quantum computing available for business and government. If you think about the application space for quantum, and by the way, quantum, there are three different major categories. There's quantum computing, which is one. There's quantum sensing, which people don't talk about as much. And then there are quantum communications. So on quantum computing specifically, we're talking about new materials, discovery, drug discovery. I think it is the applications here. It's going to be a question of what aspect of our lives does quantum not touch rather than what it does. I think the application space is just 
so incredibly vast and broad. On quantum sensing, we have quantum sensors today. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, atomic clocks are a great example. They've, uh, atomic clocks, is, it's a proven technology that it's existed for quite some time, but it's based on inherently some of the fundamentals of quantum. But when you think about where that could go, you start to pair an atomic clock with a gyroscope and accelerometer, and now you have a completely self-contained navigation device. So when you think about what is going to be required for true level five autonomous vehicle, you start to think about you're going to have to cut signals from outside. You're going to be able to navigate, need to be able to navigate in a self-contained manner. And quantum will enable that. And then with quantum communications, just the ability to communicate with without having the concern that your communications are being upon. That's a, it's a fundamental property of quantum communications that you can't copy it which is completely different from the world that both you and I come from. So let's talk about that last statement there in a little bit more detail. And I'd really like to hear you dive into it and disaggregate that for our audience in a little bit more detail. If you could just walk through your experiences as a CIA case officer, as an operations officer, those lessons learned those skills that you've developed and refined, and maybe even, if it's possible, bring up an example of kind of, of a story at a top level and how that applies to what you're doing now in what is arguably the most cutting edge of technologies. A lot of people have a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a difficult time, following that jump across the chasm from the world of espionage to the world of cutting edge high tech. But as you and I have seen, there's there, there's a lot there. And so I'd like to hear you explain to our audience the similarities and maybe some of the differences that you see too. Sure. As a case officer, primarily you're going out and you're recruiting sources. Some people, you could call it assets. Some people in the media, you could call it spies basically people to provide information that would help U.S. government decision makers make better decisions, more well-informed decisions. And it's not just recruiting an asset. It, that's not necessarily an easy thing. You have to know who you want to recruit. You have to target them. You have to make sure you're targeting and recruiting the right people. I think you don't want just a good source. You want a great source. You want to make sure that the risk is worth the effort that you're putting in. And it's not just risk to uh, CIA or U.S. government reputation. It's also risk to that person's life. And as a CIA officer, you're not just thinking about the asset, him or herself. You're also thinking about that, that person's family and the repercussions if what you're doing together were to be discovered. And the repercussions are extremely grave at times. It's imprisonment or even execution. And execution isn't being put to death. But these are not certainly not trivial matters. And I think, you know, what a lot of people don't realize about CIA operations and source handling is it really is a sacred duty to take care of our sources. And I, so how in the world does that translate to deep tech? I, yeah, there's a lot of second and third order strategic thinking that has to happen in both realms. There are a lot of doors we could walk through today as we start to, to design a technology and a business model around it in a very uncertain market, the path is not entirely clear. You have to have a lot of conviction that you at least have the right team, that you're headed in the right direction, but you have to very quickly be able to pivot 
versus persevere. And there's no formula for knowing exactly when to pivot and try something new versus sticking and staying the course and sticking with what you want to work. So I think that there's a lot of that same thinking that has to go in a um, place when you're you thinking about how to navigate new markets. And it's also about being intellectually honest. I think in any organization, not just deep tech, but especially perhaps frontier tech, you have to have the intellectual honesty to really zero in on what do I have? Where am I going? How do we do this as a team? What are the blind spots that are in front of us and how do we mitigate those blind spots? And that's exactly what the CIA case officer does as well. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, I think that's a great story and a great explanation of for others how to make that transition like you have done. I think there's more people looking looking to make that jump and leaders like yourself put a good model forward for how to do that, how to navigate that. And, Brett, I also, I think it's very similar to the investor world as well. As well. A CIA case officer, I think in many ways, it's like being an early stage investor in many ways. So you're evaluating an environment that's not very certain. You can certainly slap Tam on something and say, it's going to be a great market. It's going to be huge. But you don't really know in the early days. And what you really have to do is you're looking at the person, the founder and the team. Do they have the dynamics together? Do they have what it takes? Do they have the grit, the resilience? Is this a person that I can trust that when all is falling apart, that they can figure out how to put it back together? And I think it's very similar to a CIA source handling. Yeah, it's a great analogy as well. We look at it the same way, everything that you just mentioned. And I think that lines up well for your for the role that you're in there with Cold Quanta as chief of staff. Laura, if you could just explain in a little more detail what you do there and how you interface into the bigger wild as well. Sure, sure. As chief of staff, it could have many different definitions depending on the company, uh, depending on the government entity. There's certainly uh, a lot of the staff positions in the government. At Cole Quanta specifically, I think the easiest way to say it is I'm the person who tells the CEO what needs to know, not necessarily what he wants to hear. So I'm in charge of making sure that we have executive alignment, that we're really focused on our strategic priorities and that it's not just smart talk, but it's also smart action that we're going back and revisiting. Okay, what are our plans? and Are we implementing? And if we're not, figure out why is that the case and then fix it. So that's what I do for the most part. Uh, we just recently raised a fairly significant Series B round, and that was a new area for me. I was shepherding that fundraise. So I got to meet with a lot of investors and certainly learn about what their priorities are, how they think about deep tech investing. And certainly based on my national security background, quantum is one of these dual use technologies. So helping translate from either a commercial end user or government end user, how this technology will really impact all facets of what they're doing as either a company or a government. Great, great. Very cool. So let's hear more about cold quanta. Cold Quanta is getting a tremendous amount of buzz, very cool and exciting company, and very bright future. And so let's hear some more about what gets you excited every day about going to work with the Cold Quanta team. Okay, look, I work on one of the most, I think, critical technologies of our time with a team of incredibly brilliant and motivated and mission-focused people. 
And I, I don't think that I could ask for more than that. The cool quantum, we say we're a quantum technology company, not just a quantum computing company. A lot of quantum companies out there focus solely on quantum computing, but we're more of a platform play in, in some ways, a, a multi-bet quantum play. We do quantum computing, quantum sensing, and we also have a bit in the realm of quantum communications. And at the under at the core of all of that, we call it the cold atom method, which is also known as the neutral atom method. It's basically we take lasers and we shoot it at atoms. And most people think lasers are really hot. You think that would heat something, heat the environment. But in fact, it, the frequencies of the light interacts with the atoms. It cools them down to absolute zero. And we can pulse the lasers and move the atoms around into different arrays. And depending on how we move those atoms around, we can create quantum computer or a quantum sensor. And it's the same core fundamental technology that goes into each application space. With quantum, we have a number of devices that we are building. Atomic clocks is a big focus for us. Quantum RF is another in addition to our quantum computer. And we work across commercial and we, one of the reasons why I joined Cold Quanta originally is because it had such a wonderful reputation in U.S. government circles. And there is a lot of hype out in the quantum space right now, it's incredibly important to be able to cut through that and understand a few layers deeper than the headlines. Um, sometimes there's, there's a lot of marketing versus what is the actual fundamentals behind what any given company is doing. And I was just incredibly impressed with Cold Quanta. Outstanding. So let's talk a little bit about what are what types of problems is quantum best suited to solve and contrast that a little bit with some of the hype that you just talked about. How, If you can tell the story to help new investors or technologists navigate what is arguably a very complex field to understand and to get, to get our arms around. If you can guide sure. us through that journey, please. Yeah, I think one of the most, at least simple problem to, to that, that people can generally wrap their head around that a quantum computer um, would solve. It's a, very, a multivariable problem. It's called the traveling salesman, basically optimization problem. So if you think about Amazon, for example, as thousands of aircraft, trucks, millions, billions, I don't you know, a lot of packages on, on a daily basis it has to deliver all over the world. And it, there are just so many inputs that a regular computer today can't figure out what's the best route that an Amazon package and truck should take to accomplish reaching, basically saving money for the company and getting a, a good to a consumer very quickly. So a quantum computer could solve that problem. When you extrapolate that and you start to think about other types of problems that quantum can solve in finance world, portfolio optimization. And then when you start to move over into sensing, when you think about atomic clocks, like I said earlier, pairing it with a gyroscope and accelerometer, you have a completely self-contained navigation device. The one thing that we've known, but we've seen even more clearly over the last year with the war in Ukraine, is GPS can be very easily spoofed, hacked, denied. So at some point, you really need, and that point is now, I would argue, you, you need a backup timing device. And this is critical for navigation, not just in a contested environment, but for autonomous vehicles. When you think about timing, time is what the world runs on. 
Uh, you think about communications networks. If you run out of, if you go out of sync and timing, those communications networks are going to de degrade. So having accurate timing devices, more accurate ones are very important for essentially the way we communicate all across the world. And you have to think about what, were to, what would happen if some of our GPS capabilities were to be taken out. You're going to need a localized device and cold quantity filled in that. Very interesting. So you earlier you had talked about as a case officer and then to the role that you're in now, understanding second, third order effects and impacts to actions that you're taking. If you could talk through through that lens of nth order effects of of companies adopting onboarding quantum computing, quantum networking. What are the energy management and efficiency issues associated with that? For example, in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin gets a lot of attention that wasn't previously appreciated up front with all the energy to do the Bitcoin mining. So for companies adopting quantum computing and networking, is it going to take more energy or less energy to to derive the solutions compared to current computational capabilities? Yeah, I think that's the area where there's been some studies done. I don't know that there's specifically a, a direct answer as far as to an individual company. Some of this, so you could do it over the cloud. If you look at many of the quantum computing companies, co quanta included, we have cloud service where you can access a quantum computer and you can start to do early tests of a quantum computer and really where the market is right now for especially the big fortune 500 companies it's all about becoming quantum ready and what does that mean it means understanding the use cases that your company quantum use cases that your company would have there's a lot of work that's being done from aerospace companies gas minerals extraction power grids the automotive almost every company today is, has a use case for quantum it's just at what point will the quantum computers become powerful enough that they can solve some of these problems and the fact is quantum computers are not, they're not powerful enough to do some of these algorithms that we know are going to be so transformational. So what a lot of companies are doing, and I think it's incredibly smart of them is to become quantum ready, which basically means hire a small team of quantum experts who do algorithm design, work with companies, you know, out in the quantum space like Cold Quanta, and really start to zero in on those algorithms and those use cases that are going to give your company an exponential speed up over other companies if you adopt quantum before they do. And we just had an acquisition fairly recently of a company called Supertech. And Supertech does this. It's very much a, they do benchmarking of, of quantum computers. They help companies understand use cases. And it's not just companies. They're also working with the U.S. government. So the U.S. government can also understand use cases as well. And that's where we are in the market for computing right now. So Laura, what does leadership in quantum mean? How do we measure who is ahead or do we wake up and the race is over and where's the goal line? Yeah, that, that is a fear. And I think it's a legitimate fear that a number of people, especially in U.S. government and Western allied nations have is that one day we could wake up and there's completely a paradigm shift because the development could happen out of China where all of a sudden they're much closer um, or have achieved some sort of quantum advantage that we weren't expecting along the timeline, at least that we expected it. 
And I think that's very possible. We know countries such as China are pouring billions and billions of dollars into this technology. Generally, we don't think that they're ahead in it in many ways. Certainly, when you start to break down, you look at the different quantum computing, sensing, and communications. Some are ahead in communications, but not necessarily quantum computing. So it's one of those sort of opaque areas where it's hard to judge. And when you go down to the company level, of course, people are protecting their IP. And it's a bit hard to discern sometimes how far along they are. I I think leadership in the space is also going to be about educating the market and making sure people understand how quantum could be used in their daily business, how it could impact end users. I think there is a, we all have sort of an ethical duty to think about what could the unintended second, third order effects of quantum be, and how might we try to mitigate that with government partners. I think that will also define who really are the quantum leaders out there. Very insightful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Laura. One of the things that is in the news a lot is potential use cases for quantum computing to help solve some really vexing bio problems, vaccine development specifically, and there's others. What do you see as the most exciting use cases in quantum. Yeah, drug discovery is one of those, right? If you can imagine when COVID began, if we could have come up with a vaccine within weeks, that, that would have been a complete game changer and, and certainly alleviated a lot of the now the second and third order effects that we're seeing from COVID, not just the health crisis, but supply chains, and inflation, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think drug discovery is one that I'm most excited about. The other would be how can you use quantum to the effects of climate change and really understand climate change? And I think you, we have to understand it better, be able to build solutions that tackle it. But And this is a very broad category. So when you think about battery design, how can we design better batteries that get us off this need for oil that, that goes into climate? It also goes into a lot of other use cases as well. So, so that's a, an area I'm very excited about. Another one is how can quantum sensors which is essentially data collection devices, you know, how can they be paired with quantum computers at the edge and start to process things at the edge? And you really start to create what we call QIoT, quantum internet of things, and how will that change the world around us? Another area that, that's starting to become more of interest is how can quantum be paired with AI and ML and really speeding up machine learning and how will that impact the world around us for all the better? And I think this is a, a new and exciting area, something that certainly we're looking at Quanta as well. I like that. I like that. Very cool. And I, another aspect that you spend a lot of time doing is on the policy side. <laughs> I'd really like to hear, and I think it's really interesting for our audience as well, is there's talk about reform, potential reform, or at least the hope for reform within the Department of Defense's acquisition process. But on the policy side, why did you get into it? And what do you find goes wrong at the policy and technology intersection? Yeah, why I got into it, I think whether or not the world becomes more democratic or authoritarian over the next 20 years is going to be a result of this great power competition that we're in, specifically with China and technology is at the heart of that 
competition. And then if you drill down, quantum is at the heart of that in my point of view. We have to have a policy and the policy world has to come together with industry to, to solve this challenge. And it also isn't going to be just one country that solves it. Quantum is a is a very, it, it's a global challenge and it's going to require a global solution. It's going to require the U.S. working very closely with its allies to start to determine which country is best or has the best talent pools for solving which piece of the quantum puzzle, and then aligning together as allied Western nations to really make sure that we're being as efficient uh, and speedy as possible in, in solving these challenges. I think the getting the international sort of policy world aligned is incredibly important. AUKUS is a good example. Quantum is a small piece of that, but certainly one that's quite important. We have a subsidiary in the UK, and we're also opening up an office in Australia as well. So being able to tackle it across different governments is going to be incredibly important. I think what, at least for the US government, yes, there's a lot of talk about we need to change you know, the acquisition process. That's We've been talking about that for a very long time. And I think everyone realizes the problem, recognizes it. A lot of people say it's ultimately going to require an act of Congress to fully change it and fix it. One thing that we're really pushing for on the policy side is let's help move this technology from the lab to the field. It's ready to move out of the lab. Uh, certainly there's still, and I'm not saying there's not fundamental research that still needs to happen in quantum. Absolutely it does. But there are aspects of this technology that are ready to move now. And the government has to help do that. And the way to do that, at least with DOD, is start to put quantum in programs of record, really go beyond these very small funding into very large programs, meaningful dollar amounts. And that's what's going to be necessary for quantum and any deep tech, hardware intensive, capital intensive company. Very interesting. Yeah, I like hearing the fusion between policy and technology. And from our perspective as well, they absolutely go hand in hand and the organizations that lead understand that and help drive to help create the future like you guys are. Yeah, I think historically what we've seen is government funds research and industry funds or investors fund product and nobody funds that in between. And that's where we are with quantum, where we need someone to fund that. We're ready to start stepping into the product realm for quantum, but we have to have that funding injection, whether it be from government or commercial investment, that that's where we are right now. And I'm very optimistic about it. Talking with a number of investors out there, talking with a number of government entities that understand the need to put towards this problem, non-dilutive funding, that's also very appealing to an investor on the outside as well. So as we're getting close to wrapping it up here, if you were not at Cold Quanta, where else would you be? What else would you be <laughs> uh, doing? That's a good question. I didn't anticipate that one. <laughs> yeah, look, I left the government about a year and a half ago with the intention of going back to government. And I wanted to jump out and understand the deep tech space better, get a different perspective on where we are in our technology challenges, and then use what I learned to go back into a, a government role. And it's a bit of heresy, I think, to say that as a case officer, to say that I want to go into a policy role, but I do. So at some point, I, I'd like to do that. If I weren't at Cold, perhaps I would be doing that. The investment world is also incredibly a- appealing to me just because, and it, perhaps it's a phrase too often cited, but just the I- idea of going from zero to one for a company and really being someone who assists and supports brilliant 
founder to get the technology into the world that's going to make the world a better place. I think that's also fascinating. So it'd probably be investment world or government policy world. And I recognize the two are extremely different. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there is a lot of difference and in, in some similarities as well. In, in closing, for our audience, what is a closing thought that you would like to leave everyone with? Yeah, I'd say if you're interested in quantum, go beyond the headlines a couple layers and start digging into quantum sensing because that's the area where a lot of people, they just don't know about it. They don't, the media doesn't cover it as much. And I think that it's almost a greenfield. And I think that's where the near term, some of the near term exciting developments in quantum are going to be that, that people aren't looking at. And we're certainly working on that at Cold Quanta, but there are other entities and companies working on it as well. And I'm just fascinated to see where that space goes over the next five. Thank you very much, Laura. So uh, we're very privileged to, to have you on board with us and we celebrate your leadership and we will continue advocating for you. And thank you for your time. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. You've all been listening to another episode of Securing Our Future from New North Ventures. Thank you and see you next time.